freak out, man. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. From the earliest days of popular music to the top of today's charts, the Lone Star State has a justifiably rich music tradition. There are songs about Texas and artists that are quintessentially Texan. But there are also many great and popular artists that we don't quite immediately associate with Texas. This week, we're doing a special episode we call Texas Rock. But first, who's your favorite Texas comic book artist or cartoonist? I'm going to go with uh, Terry Moore, uh, who uh, is from the Houston area. He's written and drawn. He's the the writer and artist for um, a series of his own creator uh, own creations including strangers in paradise echo and rachel rising and uh he's also very active on twitter uh but uh he's my favorite i've met him years and years and years ago and uh, i've liked everything that he's done well i'm gonna call up a ut alum uh, and that is berkeley breathed and he drew bloom county in the 80s then he drew opus in the 90s and now he's back on Facebook drawing Bloom County again. So uh, don't forget Outland. Oh, and Outland. Sorry, and yeah. Outland. Yeah. Too Love much. He's, it's a um, too many volumes of those uh, <laughs> trade <laughs> trade comic strips to to keep up with. Yeah. Uh, well, I am a big fan of Berkeley Breathed as well. But um, my favorite is Scott Kurtz, who draws an online comic called PVP. Uh, it was published uh, for a while in Image Comic Books. He was nominated for an Eisner. Um, and I like Scott because, number one, it's a great comic strip. But number two, I actually know him. And uh, I knew him several years ago when he lived in Dallas. And I knew his brother, worked with his brother at EDS. So he's a great guy, and you should check out his strip at PVP Online. We love to talk about Texas culture and Texas music on this show. We've done episodes on ZZ Top, Dallas's Deep Ellum music scene, Buddy Holly, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and even did three episodes on the life of Willie Nelson. Music is an important and vital part of Texas culture and influence on the world. But there are many artists and musicians who've had huge hits or were seminal groundbreaking performers, but don't really stand out as being associated with Texas. In fact, many of them are so removed from Texas that people will probably say, they're from Texas? You don't say! So, in the tradition of one of our favorite new podcasts around Beyond Yacht Rock, we are creating an arbitrary genre with specific rules we've come up with and counting down 10 of the best examples. If you haven't listened to Beyond Yacht Rock, I encourage you to do so. Of course, it is explicit, so make sure you're grown up enough. All right, so first up is, of course, ZZ Top and their hit LaGrange. Uh, So what is not part of this genre? Well, obviously, songs and artists for whom being Texan is an essential part of their being, their sound, or their character. ZZ Top's Texas heritage both permeates their sound and their mystique. LaGrange is a song by a Texan band about a piece of Texas mythology, and their sound has become intimately identified with Texas. As we said on our previous episode about Billy Gibbons and ZZ Top, if you were making a movie about 1970s Texas, you must have LaGrange on the soundtrack. So quintessentially Texan. Right. So not part of this genre. They are they are Texan. 
Texan, Texan through and through. That is the anti-example. But if you are making a movie about blowing up an asteroid that is about to destroy Earth, and you need to have a, a comedy montage <laughs> of errors, this is your this is your song. Or too. apparently, if you're Geico selling motorcycle insurance, this is also your song. You know what? <laughs> just cut Z. <laughs> just cut ZZ <laughs> Top. Yeah. All right. So so what so what is part of this genre? This genre, as we said, is artists that you don't associate being with Texas and being from Texas. And the song is not necessarily even about Texas either. It doesn't it, now now an artist from Texas that you associate with being from Texas doesn't have to be about Texas. So this is a huge hit. Everyone knows it. Me and Bobby McGee by Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin was born in Port Arthur and raised there. And she grew up something of an outcast. She never really fit in in being in Port Arthur. And between 1962 and 67, she bounced between Austin, San Francisco, and home. And she became a major star and a counterculture icon in the group Big Brother and The Holding Company. She had a big hit called Take a Little Piece of My Heart. But she, and she's most associated with that San Francisco hippie music scene. Uh, now, it's ironic that before her death in 1969, her biggest hit single was this straight-up country song by a Texas singer-songwriter named Chris Christopherson. Uh, I mean, she's a Texas singer. She's straight up singing a Texas song. But this song doesn't feel like it's a Texas song. And it doesn't feel, and she doesn't feel like a Texas singer. So this is really an exemplar of that, oh, she's from Texas? Because most people think of her from being that hippie San Francisco kind of sound. Well, I would say this about her too, is that like you, you just yeah, I think of her. I think of her as just a Big Brother and the Holding Company, and that's sort of that that psychedelic sound, like yeah, bluesy psychedelic. Don't yeah. think of it as the time. Yeah, and you you think about that time going on in Texas. Uh, you know, it just it's an odd time in Texas. Like we talked about, like how the the movies and things and what San Antonio and the military culture of Texas at the time yeah. sort of reflected. So, so, so but so uh, we're gonna have ten go. songs. Counting from 10 to 1 that we really feel exemplify the Texas rock sound. Number 10. Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians, What I Am. This band was formed in the early 80s in Dallas by several local art school kids, and they clicked as a group when SMU student Edie Brickell joined the band on stage at a gig. Uh, they were popular in the mid-80s Deep Ellum scene, which uh, we've talked about before. They broke through to the national audience with What I Am in 1988, which peaked at number seven on the Billboard Hot 100, but actually at number one in Canada, which is, you know, pretty cool. It's, it's yeah, a darn right cold, Sean. Not Texas at all. Brickell quickly became the star of the band, though. I mean, that's who you associate her with. She scored hits with her covers of uh, She Did a Hard Rain's Gonna Fall and Walk on the Wild Side. Now, in 1992, she married Paul Simon, and that was yeah. pretty much it for pretty the band. Cool. Uh, now, in, back in 2006, though, they did reunite to record yeah, I, a new album. I think album. she's been recording. She's um, recorded Paul Simon a bunch since then. And actually, she recorded with Steve Martin's uh, Bluegrass Band. Yeah. Oh, very cool. I mean, the, look, let's just talk about, like, 1980, uh, the late 80s in music. You know, for some people, it's a bit of a dark time. I remember this song being a hit, but... It, you know, Sean was talking to me about this. It was funny that, you know, the video is very weird and that the lyrics are just Gobbity complete nonsense. nonsense. Like they, 
<laughs> gobbledygook. Yeah. But it's got a catchy hook. Yeah, the, the, the video looks like know? it was filmed in, so. in an antique warehouse. Um, like it's like, well, what what was what was Chip and Joanna Gaines watching when they were like in high school? Oh, that, that was it, and they thought, hey, I'd like to do that. I'd like to have old lamps and big giant letters. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. So I don't know. You know, it it brings back a it's lot of happy memories of hearing too. this on the radio. Like if you so. know anything about Denton, Texas, it's totally like, Denton. It is so Denton in its feel. But the but for people that don't know Denton or don't know, yeah. they'd be like, this imagine is not San Texas Francisco music. on the prairie and really small. Number nine. Okay, now you can't talk about uh, Texas music really these days without talking about the Toadies and their hit Possum Kingdom. Uh, the Toadies were formed in Fort Worth in 1989 and were a fixture of the early 90s Deep Ellum and Denton scenes. Uh, their first full-length album, Rubberneck, was released in 1994 and became one of the huge hits of the quote-unquote grunge years. The biggest hit from the album was, of course, Possum Kingdom, which hit 40 on the Billboard Hot 100, but it hit number 4 on the Modern Rock chart. The Toadies broke up in 2001, but reunited in 2008 and have been together ever since and they just played as of this recording last weekend at the uh texas texas wildflower mm-hmm. festival yeah wildflower um, festival. right here in richardson uh the song possum kingdom is one uh, it's almost two on the nose possum kingdom is a popular lake in texas and the lyrics have been interpreted as either being about a serial killer or maybe a vampire that uh, haunt the lake Still, only Texans really know what Possum Kingdom is, and a vampire stalking this country lake is kind of a stretch for I think of Texas when I hear this song territory. (laughs) About the most Texas thing about the song is the video, which alternates between the band playing at a Deep Ellum Club and a guy dumping a body at a lake. But he's hacking at ice, and nobody's ever heard of a frozen lake in Texas. I think that's probably... Not true. I'm pretty sure some uh, lakes are frozen maybe, but in Texas. But it's not the first no. thing you think right. of when you yeah. think of Texas. Hmm. No, if he was like <laughs> jumping his horse over a cactus while he was roping a cow and then yeah. dumping a girl's dead body in a lake, that might be a little more more Texan. Yeah. Now, for my part, I, I, I tend to subscribe to the uh, the vampire theory in my head when I listen to this song which may in fact correlate to the idea that uh, this song, um, this album and the song were released around, if I recall, around the same time as Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. Same era. And so vampires were really big. So I I made that association and it stuck. So. Yeah. I, I just, I just, I mean, we were in college in Dallas when this album came out. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen the Toadies before they get big, but I know most of our friends had. So, you know, They were they were a fixture of of our scene, but if you're you know from Minneapolis or you know Louisville, Kentucky or something, you you probably heard the song and thought, oh, that's a Seattle band, as they don't have Texas accents. They're not singing about Texas things. And Possum Kingdom, what a weird song name. Right. But that's about as far as you get. You know. Yeah. Well, this was in the days before really Google was out there, so you'd be like, well, right. If you Google Possum Kingdom today, you'll get this song and Google Maps. Yeah, in '94, you'd have to like go to the. Ugh, library libraries. get an encyclopedia <laughs> <laughs> it's a great song though i love this song great song way to go toadies yep and coming in at number eight it sounds just like Texas. freak out man uh so this band is the 13th floor elevators and the song is gonna miss me 
Um, and so the 13th floor, 13th floor Elevators was founded in 1965 in Austin by singer-guitarist Roki Erickson, and it's actually one of the most influential and emulated psychedelic bands of the 1960s. They're so influential that beyond their really discordant and manic sound, uh, band member Tommy Hall, who, get this, played the electric jug, um, is credited with actually coining the term psychedelic rock. So they actually have a seminal influence not only on the music musicality, but just in the, the culture of psychedelic rock. Their debut song was You're Gonna Miss Me, and it broke out of the underground and it hit number 55 on the Billboard charts in 1966. And that's a pretty good accomplishment for a, kind of a regional song to make it to the national charts like that. It's a seminal record in the evolution of counterculture music. Now, unfortunately, the band didn't last long. Erickson and Hall, who were the creative forces behind the band, both had serious issues. Hall became an acid dropout. Not a big surprise. He played the electric jug. Um, and Erickson had, he had some, <laughs> electric yeah, he had some serious mental issues and drug problems. And he was arrested in 1969 for pot possession in Austin. He had one joint in his pocket and to show you how much Austin has changed. Um, he went to, he was going to go to jail and he wanted to avoid jail time. So he pled insanity and they took him up on it. And it actually resulted in him being committed to a state mental hospitals pretty much for most of the decade. Um, he had electroshock treatment and it didn't, it made things much worse. Uh, he drifted in and out of the music scene in the 1970s and eventually just became a recluse. But in the 2000s, he was encouraged to rejoin society by admirers, including ZZ Top's Billy Gibbons, who had known him back when he was in uh, his psychedelic bands in the 60s. Today, he's recognized for his contributions to rock and roll. So I, I love this song. I think I'd never heard this song really before the movie High Fidelity, actually. It was on that soundtrack. Well, here's the crazy thing to me about these guys is, uh, and and this is kind of a thing you were saying is uh, we're talking about this one is, you go, oh, this is you know totally what you think of as Austin today, you know, like you're like, oh, this was a revolutionary song, and it's like if you were in Austin and you heard this coming out of a bar, you'd be like, well, it's Tuesday, yeah, today, today, yeah. today, right. today. But you know, I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's the '60s, man. It's free love. But man. that was not in Austin at the time. I mean, he was. They were arrested no. multiple times for drugs. <laughs> Um, he was arrested for one joint, and not to excuse illegal drugs, but one joint, Heck one no. joint. Um, plus, it, 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 it's a crazy song. I mean, it sounds manic. It sounds absolutely insane. He's wailing, and he's a, he's a beautiful voice. I've heard some of his other songs. His gorgeous voice, but he's just wailing, and there's that weird, weird discordant sound, and that's the jug player. It's an electric jug. I just can't get over that. I know, the electric jug yeah. is great. That Now that is the thing that needs to make yes. the comeback. Forget the cowbell. <laughs> Let's bring back the So would you say jug. that Austin today is weird because of things like the 13th floor elevators, or are they, are they weird because of Austin? I think that's a good question. It's kind of a chicken and the egg. I, I think they're weird. I think they're weird because I think it's Austin always is been weird. weird. It's just... I, I think there's some kind of great <laughs> magnet under the ground there that it's something where... It's something where the trees on the east side meet the rocky cliffs on the on the west side think, sort of come together that was, and it forms a, an yeah. unstable Was that one of Mirbeau Lamar's secret projects to waste waste the Republic's Probably. money is just to build a giant magnet the, underground? Ooh, maybe there's like some ancient alien <laughs> ship buried underground there. It causes all the weird things. Seven. This is Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs with Wole Bole. So, Wooly Bully is super recognizable, um, especially if you've seen the movie Splash. 
Uh, Wooly Bully was the first and biggest hit from Dallas-born singer Sam the Sham and his backing band The Pharaohs. Sam was born Domingo Samudio, and uh, he, you know, he worked for several years as a novelty act, singing in a cape and a turban. And he was backed by uh, his band, and they all dressed like extras from the Ten Commandments. <laughs> so, Bully Bully, it's, it's a pretty simple song. It's just a little 12-bar blues progression. But you can tell that it's influenced by both, you know, sort of the British rock of the time. It also has a bit of that Tejano Conjunto rhythms, uh, as well as the sort of improvised Tex-Mex countdown that uh, comes to define the opening of that song. It came out of nowhere, and it became a huge surprise hit. It sold 3 million copies, and it actually reached number two on the American Hot 100 chart in June of 1965. It, uh, it could not seem to top the Beach Boys Help Me Rhonda and the Supremes yeah. Back in My Arms Again. Uh, would, but uh, it's still a yeah. timeless American classic. This was the first American record to sell a million copies during the British invasion. So we actually showed those... Yeah. Brits, what's what yet again? Uh, it was nominated for a Grammy and also named Record of the Year. Sam replaced his band several times, uh, and then he scored a, a hit the next year with Little Red Riding Hood, which is uh, featured <laughs> in that Bruce Willis yeah. movie uh, Striking he, uh, Distance. He actually he actually helped launch uh, the career of <laughs> Dwayne Allman. Dwayne Allman was one of the members of his band at one point. Yeah, that guy had talent. This is the sound of mid '60s rock and roll. I mean, like it's been in a ton of movies. We, you know, I, I we rattled off a couple there, but don't forget Full Metal Jacket and Apocalypse Now. Um, Fifteen, you know, movie and it, it just paints a picture. Officially credited, <laughs> not to mention no matter oh no gosh. telling how many wow. commercials it's been on. It's right up there with Lowrider as overused like period piece. Um, you know, this uh, it also uh, it was banned on some radio stations because. The lyrics are kind of hard to understand. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So if if you can't understand it, then obviously since it's rock and roll, they're going to be saying lewd things. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Same, same reason they banned Louis Louis. I know. It kind of makes you wish you could like had a time machine and you could go back find a program director in like 1962 and be like, let me play you some songs by uh, Drowning Pool, and you'd be like, what? <laughs> 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 this is on the radio. Like this is a this is on the radio all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Number six, sir, number six. Man, that song is smooth. All right, coming in on the smoother side of things is uh, I'd Really Love to See You Tonight by England Dan and John Ford Coley. This soft rock duo was formed in 1969 by two friends from Dallas, Texas, Dan Seals and John Colley. Seals was the younger brother of Jim Seals from another soft rock duo you might know, Yacht Rock Legends, Seals and Crofts. Dan Seals got the nickname England Dan because he occasionally used a fake English accent in high school. <laughs> they were picked up by AM Records and later by Atlantic Records. Coley added Ford as a middle name to help with the alliteration of the band name. In 1976, they hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one on the Easy Listening chart with I'd Really Love to See You Again a smooth pop ballad about a lovelorn man wanting to get back together just one time with his ex. They had a couple of other number one easy listening hits in the 70s, but like a lot of the period's easy listening stars, they couldn't survive into the 80s. Dan Seals became a country session musician, and Coley became a producer. Seals, unfortunately, died in 2009 from cancer. Man, oh man, I mean, talk about smooth music. So So smooth. Smooth. Smooth, but not Yacht Rock. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. So the Yacht Rock's a very specific definition, and I recommend you Google around on yeah. it. Uh, now, this would, listen to the episode Yacht Rock. Uh, Yacht Rock. This would qualify as uh, Marina Rock, probably, yeah. but uh, not quite full Yacht yeah. Rock. Um, I mean, look, this is not Texas no. music. I mean, this is... This was something that uh, you heard playing in somebody's house with a three-inch deep shag carpet when you kind of walked in. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, but look, it mean made it number two, uh, and you know that's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's just it's but so it's, touchy feely and just like I really love to see you tonight. Like it's just it's a pretty song, but it's also just like there's no Texas to it. There's no there's no swagger there's no nothing i just like that they this that the follow-up is i'd really love to see you again <laughs> and then their other hit was yeah. i'd really love to see you sometime yeah no um <laughs> look i think we need hey, to man if it yeah. works it works okay i'm gonna stop the music here and i'm gonna say this if we're gonna really do a countdown and do it right i think from this point on everything we talk about should be a true number, number one. one hits okay Number one hits that you do not think of as Texan. Yep. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Number five. Ah, the single ladies. That is the divine queen bee, Lady Day, the amazing Beyonce with single ladies. And everybody knows that Beyonce, who is the reigning queen of pop music, uh, everybody knows her. But does anybody really remember little Beyonce Knowles from Houston, Texas? Now, her, she first rose to fame as a member of the popular group Destiny's Child, which had three number one hits of their own from the late 90s to the early 2000s. But in 2001, she started to break out as a major star in the group. She recorded solo albums. She went into acting. She actually was in Austin Powers, international, or the, second, or the third Austin Powers movie, uh, and later was in Dreamgirls. In 2002, she began collaborating with future boyfriend and later husband, rap superstar Jay-Z. And Destiny's Child disbanded in 2005, but she already was the number one hit song artist. She had many number one hits. However, 2008 Single Ladies is her biggest hit. It sold 6.1 million copies, which is quadruple platinum. It spawned an iconic music video. It inspired Kanye West to make an idiot of himself and humiliate Taylor Swift on national TV. You just, you couldn't escape this song in 2008. Sean, 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 I'm going to let you finish. But first I want to say, no, you know, this is a funny song because like Sean and I got into like a real discussion over should this be on the list or not? Because I do remember like there was this thing called MTV that people watched once and on it they had a show called Cribs where they would show you people's houses. And I remember they went to Houston and she had a big place out. I think it was on Lake Conroe. Or maybe Lake Livingston. And they went to this big house that she had there. And it was, you know, they, they were in Houston. And it was like, okay, well, they, you know, they were from Houston. So I think that's why she's at number five is that you just don't, you might know she's from Texas, yeah. but you might have I think forgotten she's be- that she's from Texas. She's become, yeah, bigger. Yeah, she's a global she's, she's a global celebrity right. now. She's big. If it would be possible to become bigger yeah. than Texas, I would now, say and she And the is, point about this song, that's not possible. too. Is it's it's a great song. It's a catchy pop song. It's really high energy. It's it's immaculately produced, and she sings and she's amazing in her singing. Uh, and she is a tough lady. I mean, she is she is bad to the bone. She could probably kick Jim Bowie's butt, but 
this song does not sound like Texas, and she does not sound like a Texan at this point in her career. Well, yeah, she's very great. I I've never like she wasn't stabbed with no. a sword cane and no, shot but, two times. No. So <laughs> Jim Bowie wins on toughness. Right. Number four. Number four is of course. Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. So, uh, from the uh, from the huge hit album to the extreme, like like a vandal. So stage, like (laughs) oh my gosh, let just let let it go. Stop singing. You can let yourself go. You can sing along with Sean if you want. But here's the thing: there is no better example of something that some would say is is an awesomely bad song. Uh, then you, but you can't help but sing along to this '90s mega hit, "Ice Ice Baby," and Vanilla Ice is actually the alter ego of Robbie Van Winkle, uh, Robert, to his mother, uh, who was born in Dallas, word, and he grew her. up all word word to her, yeah, word, <laughs> word 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 to Miss Van Winkle. So he was born in Dallas, but he actually grew up between Dallas and Florida. He would f- go here and there. Uh, Van Winkle was a teen breakdancer, motocross writer, and an amateur rapper who made his way onto the Dallas hip-hop scene in the late 80s. In 1989, his cover of Wild Cherry's Play That Funky Music failed to break free into the mainstream, but there was a B-side released, which was Ice Ice Baby, and that had recycled the bass line to Queen and David Bowie's Under Pressure, and it became a huge hit the next year. Uh, Now, the song became the first hip-hop song to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and to the extreme... Yeah, take take yeah. that public enemy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chuck D. Sorry, public enemy. Flavor, flavor. <laughs> so look, to the extreme sold more than 15 million copies, uh, and that is only 10 million less than the entire ZZ Top catalog. Vanilla Ice's backstory was either downplayed or he flat out denied his Texas connection and put his origins in Miami. So if you actually go through the lyrics of the song, you hear all these Miami things. The song and the album's success launched him to stratospheric heights for a few years, and he got in some movies that either featured motorcycles or Ninja Turtles. The rest of the 90s were pretty rough uh, for, for Rob, but he uh, actually invested his money wisely, and he has success with his interior design and home improvement TV shows, uh, and he has a pretty good sense of humor about himself. He's fairly self-deprecating when it comes to the whole Vanilla Ice thing. So... Uh, for us, this was high school. I mean, this was uh, the jam. Like, people wore their hair like him. People dressed like him. It was between him and it was... There were... This was like when people would, in the 80s, would argue Prince or Michael Jackson. People would argue Vanilla Ice or MC Hammer. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually saw a near brawl between members of my basketball team in high school over who was the better dancer, Ice or Hammer. Uh, and... Two two guys on my team nearly got into a fight over that. Look, he's. He, I mean, you just don't think of this as Texan, do you? I mean, you don't go. There's not a single pedal steel anywhere in this entire song. It's neither country nor western. No, <laughs> no, no. nor rock. I, I just. I, mean, I I saw that about the album sales, and I was just amazed that this one album was. Sold ten million less than ZZ Top's entire career, and that's just crazy to me. Some would say wrong, I don't know, but it's just it is crazy. <laughs> but but it is so infectious. This song is ridiculously infectious. Number three. So I can see clearly that uh, this song does not 
sound like a Texas song. Um, the singer here is Johnny Nash. Uh, he was born in Houston in 1940 and became a pop singer as a teenager in the 50s. In the 60s, he was an A&R guy in New York City, which means he was responsible for procuring talent for uh, and signing them to record deals and promoting them while he was still recording. And in 1968, a trip to Jamaica led him to sign a struggling reggae group named The Wailers, headed by a guy named Bob Marley. Nash was the first American producer to record Bob Marley, though only a few songs got recorded. In 1972, Nash recorded this song, which he'd written, and it surprisingly shot up the charts in just two weeks, and it hit number one, selling half a million copies. Nash continued to record throughout the 70s and in recent years has returned to his home in Houston, recording new songs at Houston's Sugar Hill and Tierra recording studios. I mean, it's a great song. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very cool. I mean, it's very well known. And uh, until we started putting this show together, I had no idea yeah. that it uh, could be trace its origins to a Texan. Hey, this is, that's why it's number three on yeah. the list, man. I mean, this is, you go, this yeah. is... Texas rock question mark yeah it, it 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 just feels to me I just love this song the hook is just beautiful uh it feels just warm and smooth smooth and cool all at the same time it's like ah oh, it's just so like chill and just relaxing and just it just it makes you think about summer like that's just what it makes you think yeah about it, but 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 no, not Texas summer no <laughs> no. <laughs> no definitely not no. Uh, but but no, man, like, like summer in Jamaica with a cocktail. Well, what a, what a cool song though! That. Like what a great song. So, way to go, Johnny yeah. Nash. We're really proud of you. What a Texas hit. And coming in at number two. Okay, it's Christopher Cross sailing somewhere out there. Coco is smiling. He's smiling so much at this smooth, smooth sound. Uh, this is Christopher Cross's sailing. This is a sound that literally takes you away to a world of yachts, wine spritzers, and smooth, smooth music. Makes you think of San Antonio, right? No, it doesn't? Well, this smash 1980 hit is the second single from San Antonio native Christopher Cross, who had spent the previous few years toiling as a guitarist in Austin rock band Flash before he finally released his own self-titled solo album, Christopher Cross. The first single, Ride Like the Wind, is a much more rocking song. It's about a high-speed chase to the Rio Grande. Uh, it features Michael McDonald singing background vocals and the chorus. It's, it has a much more Texas connection, but Sailing was his first number one hit. And though he wrote the song in Texas, the sound and vibe is clearly Southern California. I mean, it just is it's like Catalina, Southern California sound. Um, the album went quintuple platinum. Um, he won four Grammys. He's the only person in history to sweep all the principal categories, which is Song of the Year, Record of the Year, Best New Artist, and Album of the Year. And he famously beat out Pink Floyd's The Wall, which I can thank him for. And he also, the sailing song itself, beat out The Rose, Bentley Miller's The Rose, for Song of the Year. He won an Oscar the next year for another one, number one hit, Arthur's Theme. But by the mid-'80s, the MTV and the decline of the popularity of middle-of-the-road music had caused his star to fade. Nobody really wants to see a, you know, a husky white guy with the voice of an angel singing super smooth songs on music videos. So he moved back to Austin in 2012, where today he still continues to write and produce music. So I'm just going to say that uh, a couple of cool things about it. Um, he does look like a middle linebacker when you see yeah, Christopher Cross. Like he's a, he's he's a, a big guy. guy. Yeah. Uh, 
but he has a he uh, does have that smooth angelic voice. But you know, you say it's not Texas music, but I would argue that much like um, you know, like a great puzzle or some kind of great mystery novel, there's there's sprinklings of Texas details inside of there. Mm. Uh, you know, well, because ride like the wind, right? Well, you know, that's a more make to the border of Mexico. That's a more Texas song, but this song itself, this number one hit, mm-hmm. does not evoke the feeling of Texas. But it was based on the fact that uh, there was some. I I'd read and it's an anecdotal story, and I couldn't find the reference before the show. But I believe the anecdotal story was something along the lines of: as a child, there was somebody who he had some kind of mentor or someone who had um, taken him sailing and was a was a mentor and influence in his life. And that sailing, it didn't happen, uh, you know, it didn't happen in Denver. It didn't happen in California. It happened right here in Texas. Oh, there you go. That's nice. There are many sailors That's within true. the state of Texas who enjoy the great sport <laughs> of sailing. We have one of the largest coastlines in the United States. Thank you very much, yeah. sir. But it's not, do you, go to, do you go to this song and you think, oh, I think about Texas? Well, obviously not, because it's number two on this <laughs> awesome list. Scott, what do you think? Any, you want to throw anything? Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I mean, it does not sound explicitly like Texas, but if you really dig deep, you can find that connection, which uh, is probably common to a lot of these songs. Uh, it They very much do not have a surface Texas thing to them, but uh, when you dig in, yeah. Texas has been there all along. such an amazing along. song. I got a poll for you, you guys. We were all six when this song came out. Raise your hand <laughs> if your parents had this on album... This album on LP or cassette tape or eight track. Oh, I've, I've yeah, I still have the I still have the vinyl on the shelf here. I'm pretty sure for us it was all Neil Diamond all the time. Yeah, Cracklin' Rosie, not from Texas. Number one with a bullet. We all know this song. Meatloaf, I would do anything for love. Now, from smooth to operatic. Nobody can mistake the incredible voice of Meatloaf. He's the stage name of Dallas native Michael Lee Aday. And in the 1970s, Aday had been in L.A. He was a struggling singer in various rock bands. And he'd had some modest success as an actor in musical theater. Uh, and he's in the cult film, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. However, he finally broke through to the mainstream with the surprise hit album, Bad Out of Hell. And this was written and produced by his friend Jim Steinman. This concept album sold 43 million copies, and in fact, it has never actually left the UK Top 200 chart. But it didn't generate a number one hit. We would have to wait until 1993, when Meatloaf and Steinman reunited after years of acrimony and resurrected Meatloaf's career with Bad Out of Hell 2 and the monster smash hit, I Would Do Anything for Love. But I won't do that. Now, this hit number one in the U.S. and around the world, and it went platinum, winning Meatloaf a Grammy for Best Rock Vocal Performance. Since then, Meatloaf has released several albums, appeared in a bunch of movies that are awesome, and is generally most famous for being Meatloaf. So why number one? Well, this does not sound like a Texas song from a Texas artist at all. It's big, it's noisy, it's overproduced and overdramatic. And it's very impressed with itself while it's still extremely sincere. So it's actually kind of totally Texan and not Texan in that way. Let's talk a little about Meatloaf. His name was Robert Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. This song is both 
like even more i think than ice ice baby this song is awesomely bad and badly awesome um you cannot deny meat loves music his his singing voice like it is so powerful and so theatrical but you also cannot deny the absolute lunacy of the overproduction of Jim, Jim Steinman's music. <laughs> well, you should just call this list like you should just call yeah. the last half of this list "Husky <laughs> White Guys from Texas." <laughs> I mean, like you know, he's a, he's a really great actor, and I'm I'm sure he's a really nice guy. And um, I I can't you can't argue with the fact that Bad Out of Hell sold 43 million copies, probably half based right. on the cons on the name and the album art alone. Yeah, yeah. People think this is a this is a heavy metal album, and then they put it on and it's like it's more like musical theater. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Meatloaf. Definitely, you don't think of him from Texas. It, yeah, you just you hear this song and you do not think of the Lone Star State. That's that's the reason why this is clearly you don't you don't even think oh this guy was from Texas like until you dig in a little bit and oh yeah he was from Texas. No, his name was Robert Paulson. I, I love Meatloaf. He's uh, he's a great guy. He's a lot of fun to watch and in, in anything he does, he's he's a great actor. Uh, he's an amazing vocalist. Um, you know, he's, he's way over the top, but that's part of his gig, you know. And and maybe maybe this list is shining a light on people that we should recognize as great Texans that we don't think of. And so he, he in addition to the things that Scott just said about him, we should recognize him as a great Texan, too. Hey, hey, Governor Abbott, I know you're tuned <laughs> in and listening right now. So let's do something yes. for these folks. Okay. An un-Texas Texas Musicians Day. All right, so <laughs> we were inspired to make this from the guys over at the Beyond Rot. Po- we were inspired to make this show based on uh, what we hear from the guys at the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast, and uh, JD Risner and the rest of the crew over there were were big fans. Um, but one thing I'm going to point out about this list is that uh, in their tradition, one of the guys gets to sit in the captain's chair and has the ultimate veto about the list. So this is really. Sean's been the cultivator of this list. Now, Scott and I have made suggestions, of course, but uh, he's had the final say. Um, so we're going to revisit some other genres later this year in this style, I think. And, and, and uh, Scott and I will take a turn in the captain's chair. But uh, that, and that leads me to talk about who did not make the list but probably should have. Yeah. So... One of my picks is actually uh, Pantera Walk. It was a pretty big hit in the 90s. And I think that for the most part, you can consider Pantera really inventing new metal uh, in the late 90s. And But they were they were originally a hair metal band in Dallas and then kind of broke through with a more of an aggressive style. Um, so they're, they're from Dallas. Um, another one is Sly and the Family Stone. And I'd forgotten that Sly Stone is from Dallas. He, he and his brother and sister who were in the band. They're from Dallas, and Everyday People was a number one hit, and nobody nobody thinks of them, though, being from Texas. I think they're sort of like Janis Joplin. People think of them as being these hippies and free love people from, you know, California. Another one that uh, a lot of people would never consider as uh, Texan is uh, the Butthole Surfers and their song Pepper, which was uh, an homage of sorts to, uh, was it Mr. Pepper? Yeah, yeah it was. Or Mr. Peppermint. Or Mr. Yeah, Peppermint. The- 
Mr. Peppermint, um, which was an homage to uh, Mr. Peppermint, which was a uh, King, Captain Kangaroo-like character on a local Dallas TV, if I remember correctly. Um, so, you know, a lot of people would never realize that the Butthole Surfers uh, were a Texas band, but they very much well, were. And Gibby, Gibby Haynes was Mr. Peppermint's son. Yes, yes. So there was that. Uh, and, and the Butthole Surfers are interesting because they are actually, like, really, really important in the, the hardcore post-punk scene of the 80s. Uh, but, yeah, again, people don't recognize them for being from Texas. And Scott and I, we actually saw them um, perform opening for Pearl Jam back in 1994. He fired a shotgun on stage. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> well, look, I'm going to take it in another direction here, and I'm just going to point out, like, everybody has had to fill out a stupid TPS report Everybody hates a piece of office equipment. There's nothing you'd like better to do than to drag like the copier or printer out in a field and beat it with a baseball bat. And you should do that with Houston's own Ghetto Boys, listening to Mind is Playing Tricks on Me as loud as you can. Yeah, and we, we were going to include that in the list. Unfortunately, uh, several words that we can't play on hmm. our, our rating level show uh, we're in literally the first line of the song. It's so. a little rough, but it's a great song. It is, a, uh, and it is it's an incredible they, scene in, in Office Space. Yeah, and and the Ghetto Boys are really important because they they did they are really the founding fathers of Southern rap and 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 rap core, uh, uh, horrorcore rap. They're among the founding fathers of that. So, so I made an argument to Sean that maybe instead of Beyonce, who some people might remember from Houston, to put out Nora Jones. Now, Nora Jones was not born in Texas. And she's actually the daughter of uh, Ravi Shankar. And when her parents got divorced and she was seven, she moved to Grapevine. And then she lived, lived in Grapevine, went to school, graduated high school, and uh, went to the University of North Texas and was a, just an incredible musician. So she put out a huge hit in 2002. It was called Come Away With Me. It was played everywhere. Everybody had that CD. In fact, that CD sold 26 million copies. Um, so it's a, it's an, a ridiculously large, there's a lot of plastic CDs of that out there. And so I made the decision not to include her just because I, I, I made the really decision to include Beyonce because I think she's too big not to include. And she is, she is most people, like we said, she's a global superstar. She's not really associated with Texas anymore. Right. And okay. anyway, well, yeah. 20, 26 million, 26 albums, million that was my impressive. argument. Um, uh, a couple other quick ones, you know, just to sort of wrap it up. I mean, there everybody's seen those Facebook videos people share of the Pentatonics group yeah. around about Christmas time. <laughs> They're from Texas. Uh, we did an episode on Scott Joplin, you know, and he was like the father right. of ragtime. But uh, and, well, I also didn't include him because we don't actually have any recordings of him actually performing. That's so, true. As a songwriter, he is critically important, but as a musician or as an artist, it's kind of difficult. Mm. Yeah. Um, now, I would make the argument, if you like Sam the Sham, you are doing yourself a disservice. You need to get out there and go listen to the Sir Douglas Arthur Quintet. And they had a pretty big hit with a song called She's About a Mover. And they actually came around uh, about that same time. And it, it's a sort of a similar style of the, the Tex-Mex combined with um, sort of that British Invasion theme. So if you look at the album cover, you see... Uh, these scrawny uh, white and Tejano kids from Texas dressed up in all these foppish <laughs> British invasion stuff. And uh, Augie Myers, who's on there, they actually, uh, Doug Somm and Augie Myers were two of the main drivers in that band. They became the Texas Tornadoes years later with Freddie Fender. 
So, and we'll talk about those guys okay. in a future episode. Oh, I got one quick. And a last quick shout out to uh, any of our friends from Brownwood who might be listening. Uh, Paul and Paula had a big hit in the 60s with a song called Hey Paula, and it went to number one. And it was yeah, a huge I think smash. That's a deal where it's just, they're not as well remembered today, other than uh, from that scene in Animal House where the guy's singing, he's stoned and he's singing that song. That's true. Yeah. No. Nobody's ever seen the movie Animal House, Sean. Well, there you go. So we're going to post some interesting links. We hope you enjoyed the show. Get on Twitter. Give us some of your feedback, things that you think we missed. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. We know you love this show, we know you love music, and we know you love Texas. So get out there and do your duty to help us out. Tell everyone you know, and tell them to leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And do you want to support this show financially? Well, get yourself on over to patreon.com slash texaspodcast. You too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger and help to support this show that we bring to you every week. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.